Amen. Quickly, quickly, I'm going to read out of Ezekiel chapter number 34, verse number 15. I'm reading in the New King James Version. It says this, Ezekiel 34, 15. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and strong and feed them in judgment. Here is the word of God to a nation that had been scattered after following shepherds that led them in the wrong directions. They were scattered. They were broken. They were wounded. And God says that what you followed after, the shepherds you followed after, they led you to this place. But he said, because they couldn't do the job for you. He says, I'm here and I'll be the one that will bind up the wounded. I'll be the one who will bring back that which was driven away. I will seek the lost and I will find them. Today, I want to preach to you from this topic, beauty from the broken place. God has beauty from the broken place. It doesn't matter how bad it is in your life. How far God seems away, how dark the night is, there is beauty that can come from the broken place. I wonder if we can just pray. Heavenly Father, come have your way in this place. God, come move in this place today. God, let your spirit speak in this place today. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Today I want to I want to share with you an article that I ran across that maybe you can relate to. Um, it was published in the New Yorker in October of 2006, and its title is called "The 40 Million Dollar Elbow." It's an attempt at describing the kind of mistake that few, if any, of us can afford to make. It was Steve Wynn, the billionaire hotel mogul who owns several casinos around the country, also happens to be a fanatical uh, uh, fan of fine art. The New Yorker tells the story of how Steve Wynn came to the decision to sell one of his favorite paintings. It was a Picasso called La Rev. Perhaps you've seen it in textbooks, but you've never seen it in person. He personally owns it and has kept it in his casinos and in his office. Well, he decided it was time to part ways with his Picasso. And so he puts it up for auction. And one of his close friends, a hedge fund billionaire named Stephen Cohen, purchased the painting for $140 million. How many of you like to own that painting? Amen. Just a corner of it, Lord. (laughs) The next, uh, uh, as a celebration, Steve Wynn decided to invite several close friends to have a final viewing of the famous Picasso in his office. He invites them up to his office in the penthouse suite of his casino where he had the painting displayed on an easel in his office. And as he was showing his painting off for the final time before shipping it off and collecting his $140 million, he stood in front of the painting telling the story of how he had come to acquire it, how he had searched and hunted it down, and how he was able uh, to have this piece of history. And as he stood in front of it, uh, due to an eye condition that he has that impairs his peripheral vision, He doesn't realize that he stepped back and he waves his arm in a gesture to the Picasso. And when he turns and swings his arm, his elbow rips right through the lower third right quadrant of the painting. He tears a two inch hole in a hundred forty million dollar painting. 
and it's broken. It's busted. Its value is diminished. The next day, Steve has to call the broker and cancel the sale, much to the disappointment of, of both the buyer and seller. And ladies and gentlemen, we've all made mistakes. Though I doubt we've destroyed a $140 million Picasso, we've all broken things that seem like they are beyond repair. Does anybody know what I'm preaching about today? You've ever broken something and looked down and the utter feeling of hopelessness that this will never be the same again. This was a $140 million mistake. $140 million down the drain. And we can all relate because if there's any clumsy people here, we're just gonna, we're just gonna open up. We have a support group here. If you're clumsy and the spirit of clumsiness often comes upon you, just raise and wave your hand. Amen. I want to take a few minutes and bear my soul to you today. I struggle with the spirit of clumsiness. My name is Rory and I break things. When I first started dating my wife, I lived in Indiana and I was uh, in Bible college. I went out to visit her. I think it was on the second visit. She had a brand new Escalade. My mother-in-law had a brand new Escalade. And they said, sure, you can drive it. Mistake. You don't know who I am. (laughs) You don't know what spirit I struggle with. I didn't even get out of the garage. I was backing out of the garage and they had two pillars that were kind of in between uh, the doors. They were kind of narrow and you, you just kind of had to finagle the big uh, escalate a certain way. And when I backed up, I crunched the side mirror. I mean, I folded it back. It was shattered. It was an escalate side mirror. In case you don't know, an escalate side mirror is a little more expensive than a tercel side mirror. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm a college student. I can't afford to fix this. I didn't know what to do. I broke the Escalade. (laughs) Not a way to impress your future wife's family. Fast forward years later, and the same Nana, the same grandma, buys our kids a little, one of those little Escalades. You've seen them like a Hot Wheels Escalade. The kids can drive around the yard. They are living it up. They're having fun, man. It's, it's the day after Christmas. They've been driving it one day. They're driving that thing all over the yard. And I thought, you know what? I may be grown, but I'd like to give that a try. (laughs) I never had nothing like this when I was a kid. (laughs) I had a little four-wheeler, but it wasn't an Escalade. And there's something about me and Escalades that don't get along. Because I hopped in the Escalade and took off across the yard. and, And I was just about ten feet from where I started when the axle snapped in half. And all the kids were like, no! Why'd you break the Escalade? So if you have an Escalade here, don't loan it to me. I break things. I've broken many things beyond repair. Can I get an amen? Anybody feel that way? I've broken many things. Time would not avail us to speak of the phones and the pairs of glasses that I have broken throughout my life. And it must be genetic because Rowan has the same spirit upon him. A few years ago, he was out in the side yard and he found this pipe and he he saw a pipe coming out of the ground. He had a metal pole. He decided he was going to bust the pipe up. And uh, it happened to be a Friday night. And plumbers are like three times more expensive on a Friday night. And he busted the pipe. uh, Ryland, it's genetic because yesterday, just yesterday, Ryland was running around the couch holding a ball trying to keep it away from me. He hits the couch, careens, and puts a dent in the wall, a circle dent in the wall with his head. I thought, well, we're just going to live with that dent. 
Ain't no way to pop a dent out of a drywall, you know. We're just going to live with that dent. We're going to look at it. He's going to be 25 years old. We're going to say, remember when you bumped your head into the wall and you put a dent in the wall? (laughs) We all break things, don't we? And broken things frustrate us. There's no feeling in the world quite like looking down at something that is broken so badly that it can't be restored. We all break stuff. But they don't compare to the sense of sadness and sorrow that results when we look down and our life is broken. Our hearts are broken. Our spirits are broken. And let me tell you something. I'm not going to preach long today, but life will break you. The human condition is that we all live with regret. It is the commonality between all men. We fail. We sin. We defy God's law. We stubbornly uh, stubbornly walk in our own way. We inevitably discover that our way doesn't work out so well. And we've all had that sickening moment of realizing how big of a mess we've made of our life. How desperately broken and unrepairable it is. But we can't go back. We can't unspeak words. We can't unmake choices. We can't undo the damage. We broke it and it broke us. We ended up with mangled morals, broken marriages, broken spirits, busted up dreams, shattered futures, bit up thinking. We followed the wrong path and ended up far from where we started. Misguided choices and moral failings leave us empty and longing, soul-weary, sin-stained, unable to feel or discern God, living in a spiritually dry place. This was the theme of the book of Ezekiel. The Bible says the prophet was called to show God's people how badly they were broken, but also how beautiful God's grace could be. And Ezekiel 33 kind of sets off the story. And God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, I've called thee to be a watchman over Israel. I've set you as the watchman. Your job is to warn them and your job is to wake them concerning their spiritual condition. Your job is to warn them and to wake them up. To warn them, that was the job of the watchman. Whenever he saw threats coming and whenever he saw uh, that the people weren't ready for the threats, his job was to warn them and to wake them up. And so God calls Ezekiel to prophesy to Israel. And then in Ezekiel 34, he sets off prophesying. We read a little bit of the passage earlier. Ezekiel prophesies against Israel's shepherds. These are their spiritual and political leaders, their kings and priests. And they are the ones whom Israel has followed after. And God says to them that they have led Israel down the wrong path, that Israel has followed after the wrong things. And because of their lack of leadership, Israel is now scattered spiritually. They are broken. They are busted. They are wounded. The watchman is here to say that things have gotten pretty bad in Israel. And Ezekiel prophesies against those shepherds. He tells Israel, the shepherds you followed didn't bind up the broken. They didn't help the hurting. They couldn't lead you in the right path. So the sheep were scattered and became prey for the predator. Broken, lost, and exposed to every attack. Broken, lost, and exposed. These are the conditions that come from following after the wrong things. The wrong voices. The wrong spirits. And so God says, because they wouldn't and couldn't help you, I will. 
in our text, he says, I will bind up the broken. I will be the one. I will make my flock to lie down. I will seek what is lost and bring back what was driven away. I will bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I'm going to destroy the things that led you to that place. I'm going to destroy these spiritual and political leaders that have gotten fat off of your followership. That they've benefited from what Israel has, has given them. And God says, no, I'm going to set things right. No matter how bad it's been, no matter how bad it's got, I'm going to bind them up. I'm going to... Help them and heal them. God sees how broken they are, how they follow the wrong voices, set a path in the wrong direction. So they end up lost, broken and exposed. But God says, I will take the broken ones and bind them. I'll seek out the lost ones and save them. I'll find the sick and strengthen them. And, and, and in this situation, God is not standing as a judge ready to cast his people into hell. But he's standing as a redeemer and a rescuer, a restorer. God looks at the conditions and sees how bad they are. But He does not see what they are. But God sees what they can be. And so God says, I will bring them back from this place of brokenness. I will restore hope and health and life. God says, I will seek them out and I will save them. And then the passages continue on. As Ezekiel prophesies to Israel, he prophesies to Mount Seir in the next chapter. These are the Edomites who, when Israel was weak, they came in and swept in and helped the enemy to defeat them. They took their spoils back into the land of Edom. And God sends Ezekiel and he prophesies against the things that have led them down the wrong path. And he prophesies against the enemy that has stolen from them all the things that God had ordained from them. And then he comes to Ezekiel chapter 37. And shows us just how he saves. Ezekiel was shown a spiritual vision of the underlying reality of Israel's condition. Ezekiel 37, 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Somebody say bones. Ezekiel uh, 37, 2 says. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. He gets a good look at the conditions. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. This is a scene that God shows Ezekiel. He sees this valley of dry bones, and God takes him on a tour. And he shows him just how many the bones are, and just how dry the bones are. He says there are very many, and they are very dry. They, th- this was an army that had fought valiantly, but they had lost the war. They had lost the battle. Now they're just a valley of dry bones. This was the house of Israel. And Ezekiel says here is where they have ended up because they were broken, lost and exposed to the enemy. And because the Edomites came upon them and consumed them here, they lie in this place where they died fighting, but it wasn't enough. Died hoping, but it wasn't enough. And the bones are very many, and they are very dry, without a hope, without a future. They're laid bare to the conditions with no retreat or place of safety. Weapons lie scattered all around them, but they're unable to use them anymore. They have lost the battle and were broken and scattered by their environment, a valley of dry bones. And God speaks to the prophet, and he says this question. He asks Ezekiel, can 
these bones live again? Can value or destiny come out of these conditions? Can hope live in this valley? Can these bones live and breathe again? Can they have life again in this place? With man, the answer is no. But Ezekiel is smart enough to know that God sees stuff that we can't see. And understand this. I believe that Ezekiel might have said yes, but he had been shown the full measure. The full measure of the brokenness of Israel. God had spent three chapters showing him how broken, how dry, how washed up, how dead Israel was spiritually. And so Ezekiel honestly probably would like to say, I don't think so, God. Because, God, you wouldn't have let it happen if you were just going to bring them back to life again, right? That's how we reason. God, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But I I see no reason. But Ezekiel's smarter than your average bear. Because Ezekiel knows that he can make a way where there seems to be no way. He, He can see life where we only see death. He can see hope where we see no hope. And, and, and so all that Ezekiel can muster out of his spirit is, Lord, thou knowest. I don't know, God, but you know. That's all Ezekiel can come up with. But it is enough. Because we tend to lean on our own understanding. But God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He sees the beauty that can come from the broken place. He sees the strength that can come out of my weakness. For Paul said, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Not that his strength is a little better. But his strength is perfect when I'm at my weakest. Yes, God has a word for the dry bones. Ezekiel 37, 4. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. In other words, God says you need to start talking to the valley of dry bones. Start talking to the situation. Start speaking a message to this broken place that you've come before. God says, say to these bones, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. I'll cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and then you shall know that I am the Lord. God's message to the valley of dry bones was this. I will make you to live again even in this place. Even in these conditions. No matter how dry it is. I can breathe life again. I can bring back what you lost. I can bring back what conditions stole from you. I can restore what the years have stolen. I can bring it all back and I can breathe life into a dead and broken place. God's message in the valley was I'll make you to live again. I'll restore what you lost. I'll bring back what your environment is stripped from you. And so Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone upon bone. And indeed, as I looked, the sinews in the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them over. And he says, and there they stood, but no breath was in them. Ezekiel sees that God is working. And then God speaks and he says, he says, now Ezekiel prophesied to the breath. 
prophesy to the wind, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so Ezekiel said, I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding and great army. Ezekiel doesn't know if God can do it. But Ezekiel is smart enough to obey that when God says speak, it's time to speak. When God says move, it's time to move. When God says it's possible, it's possible. And as Ezekiel obeys, God begins to do a miraculous work through His Word and His Spirit. He begins to bring back everything that was lost in the broken and dry place. He begins to undo the work of the enemy in their lives. And He begins to gather back what was scattered. He breathes life into them by His Spirit. So the miracle, Ezekiel, was in your mouth all along. Because Ezekiel hadn't given up. He knew that even if he didn't understand how it was possible, that with God, all things are possible. And surely even God can bring beauty from this broken place. And God gives Ezekiel a rundown of what just happened. He says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. He says, they indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. Hear what he says. They say, Israel says, we are, we are dead, we are dry, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. This is how they're talking about their circumstance. This is what they're saying about their conditions. Is This is a spiritual view, the internal view of a nation that has forgotten and walked away from its God. They're broken, they're wounded, they're lost, they're scattered. And they say, Lord, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. We have no way from which to return from this. We didn't set out to come here, but here is where we are. And Lord, we are, are dry, our hope is lost and we ourselves they say that but he says therefore prophesy and say to them that says the Lord God behold my people I will open up your grave and cause you to come up from your grave and bring you into the land of Israel then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves oh my people And brought you up from your graves. Here's what God says. Is when they say that we are a lost cause. When they say there's no coming back from this. There is no recovering from this. There is no restoration from this. When they say that God says say to them. That I am God. And even if you're down in the grave. Even if you're six feet under. I will bring you out. So that you will know that I am God. And listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, and I will put my spirit in you. I'm going to bring you out of the grave and into the spirit. I'm going to bring you out of your dead, dry place into a place where I will breathe my spirit. He says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. Here's what God is saying to Israel is, yes, you were broken. Yes, you are very many bones and they're very dry. Yes, your hope is cut off. Yes, circumstances are about as bad as they can be. But he says, I can bring beauty out of the broken. 
broken place. I can bring life where the, the, the dead live. I can bring people up out of the grave. And I can bring something miraculous out of something that is hopeless. He says, I can bring beauty from there. And, and you know what? We never would have chosen it. They come out with the spirit of the living God. And they come out with a testimony that only the Lord could have done this. They don't come out thinking, well, I'm glad it worked out. How many, how many of you ever done that? You prayed and then it worked out. And you're like, well, you know, hey, I'm glad it worked out. You kind of wonder, was it an answer prayer or was it a coincidence? Anybody ever been there? Is any honest people in the place? God says, not this time. You're not going to come out saying, boy, I'm glad things worked out. He said, you're so hopeless. You're so broken. You've tried to break it. You've tried to, you tried to come out of that grave. You've tried to climb out of it time and time again. And you found that you are unable to do it in and of yourself. And he says, but this time, when you come out, you're going to come out with the Spirit of God. And he says, you're going to know that the Lord has brought you out. You're going to know that you didn't do it on your own. That it wasn't because you were good enough or strong enough or intelligent enough. You're going to know only God could have brought beauty out of my brokenness. Only God can restore what life has stolen from me. Only God can do it. You see, we would have never chosen the breaking. But God allowed it because we, He had a greater vision. God allowed it because He had a bigger plan. God allowed it because He had a bigger story. And the valley was where I was broken. But understand this, Israel, it's also where I was healed. The valley is where I lost some things. But it's also where God restored some things to me. The valley is where I died. But it's the same place that God made me to live again. The valley is where I received God's Spirit. And where I saw God do a work in my life. It was a broken and dry place. But God brought beauty out of my brokenness. A few years ago, I read the story of one of our pastors that pastored in inner city L.A. Small work there that he pastored for many years. And one Sunday he was preaching about the love of God. And there was a boy sitting in the back named Jalen, about a 14-year-old basketball player. And, and Jalen loved to play basketball. But this day, as he heard the message about the love of God, tears began to stream down his face. The pastor made his way back to Jalen and began to pray for him. And as he laid his hand upon him and began to pray, Jalen began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave him the utterance. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And Jalen said, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. And so Pastor Saul took him and baptized him. And wrote him out a baptismal certificate. And they took him home and dropped him off at the courts in front of his house. In the middle of the L.A. projects. It was five hours later that the pastor received a phone call to come and identify Jalen's body. The rest of the story is that he had come home and interrupted his mother in the middle of a drug deal gone wrong. And a man was beating her to death. And when Jalen walked through the door, he jumped on Jalen and with his bare hands beat both Jalen and his mother to death. Unimaginable brokenness that resulted from some mistakes. Surely, nothing good can come out of that. Surely, no good can come out of that. Eventually, they caught the man that killed Jalen and his mother. It was about three years later that the pastor went 
and was preaching in a prison. And a man pulled him aside named Eduardo. And he confessed to him. He said, I'm in here for a double homicide. It was a drug deal gone bad. And I beat a young boy and his mother to death. Can you help me pray? So the pastor prayed with Eduardo. And Eduardo turned his life over to God. Repented of his sin. Was baptized and eventually filled with the Spirit. It was about five years later, the pastor moved on to another church in another state and he got a phone call from the prison system that Eduardo was on death row and his time had come. He wanted to speak with his pastor. And so he flew out to see him and he asked him, he said, Eduardo, what happened? Isn't there an appeal that you can file? Isn't there something you can do? And Eduardo hung his head and he said, Pastor, I'm guilty of the crime that I committed. I cannot stand before a court and claim that I am innocent no more than I can stand before God and claim that I'm innocent. And so I have withdrawn my appeal and they will execute me tomorrow. I just want you to pray for me to make sure that I'm right before I go. So the pastor began to pray for him and tears flowed down Eduardo's face onto the table. When the prayer was finished, he pulled a crumpled piece of paper out of his pocket and he said, this is the only thing I have left. It's the only thing I have left in this life, and I want to give it to you. It's an unimaginably horrible situation. He pulled out this crumpled piece of paper and spread it, passed it across the table. It was Jalen's baptismal certificate. From that day, that Jalen had both found life and lost it. And as he was dying... Jalen pulled out his baptismal certificate and handed it to Eduardo and said, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Only God, hear me, we could find no good in such a situation. We could find no grace in such a situation. We could find no hope in such a situation. But He is the God that is able to bring beauty from broken places. And Eduardo found God because he faced a young man that as he was taking his life, Jalen was reaching out to give him life. How can it happen? Not here, God. Not in the middle of this mess. Not in the middle of my circumstance. Not in the middle of my broken marriage. Not in the middle of my messed up family. Not in the middle of my addiction. Not in the middle of my normal everyday routine life. No, God, not here. But I'm here to preach to somebody that God can bring beauty from the broken places. God can bring beauty from the broken places. I'm getting ready to close, but I'm here to preach to somebody today that you're looking over a valley. And I'm asking you what's laying in your valley. What is it that's laying before you saying that there's no life, no hope there? What is it that's laying in your valley? What dreams lie there? What relationships lie there? What calling lies there? What failure lies there? I've come to preach to somebody on a Sunday morning that whatever it is that's laying in your valley, it can live again. It can live again. Hope can spring up from the midst of the dark. Grace can come in the time of our greatest need. 
Whatever you're looking at, I've come to preach to somebody. Jansen had a word for you today that God is able to restore. God is able to give it back. And we may never understand why we went through it in the first place. But God brings beauty from broken places. In Revelations, he stands and he says, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. I want to close with this simple point here. The article I told you about in October of 2006 is not the end of the story. The $140 million elbow. The story is that after he had busted the painting up and called off the sale, Steve went and wondered, what can I do with this torn Picasso? It once had beauty, but now nobody would buy it. Nobody would purchase it. It's worth pennies. It's torn. And he and his wife searched and they found a restorer in Italy. And so they took the painting and they, they took it to this restorer to meet with him. And he said, can you do anything with this? And the restorer, art restorer, world renowned, said, I can work on this. He said, in fact, I can make it more beautiful than it is now. There's never been much restoration work to this. When I'm done with it, he said, you'll never know. You'll never know that it was torn in the first place. He said, the colors in the painting will be more vivid. It'll be more beautiful. It will be as if Picasso had just finished painting it. And he said, but understand this. He said, when I restore it, he said, you won't be able to tell from the outside. You won't be able to see it from the outside. He said, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to do all the work from behind the painting. I'm going to do a work from the inside out. And I'm going to sew it back together. I'm going to patch it so that nobody would ever know. And so he set about restoring the painting. The rest of the story is, is that seven years after the breaking, the painting was restored to its full beauty. Steve Wynn had it in his office when Cohen, the original buyer, heard about it. And he called him up. And he said, I'll buy it back for $140 million. Steve Wynn said, oh no. It's worth much more than that now. You don't know what this painting's been through. You don't know what it took to restore this painting. And so they began to bargain back and forth. And eventually, he, the same buyer bought the same painting after it was restored for $155 million. It was worth more after the work of the restorer than it was before the breaking. And this is the beauty that God brings from brokenness. Is that when God is finished with you, you're going to have more value. The Bible said it this way. I know that the way that I take that when I come forth, I shall come forth as gold tried and purified in the fire. Seven times. In other words, I'm coming out with more than I started with in the first place. I'm coming out with more value than I began with in the first place. God! can bring beauty from the broken place. Would you stand with me today? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Amen. No one looking around, but if you came here and you just feel broken today, I wonder if you would just slip your hand to the air. And we're going to begin to pray right now. If you feel the need to come down these altars, our altar workers are coming down. 
and you can come and pray with somebody. But can we just lift our hands, church, and can we pray, Lord, God, there's somebody that doesn't have hope here today. God, there's somebody that's lost joy here today. God, there's somebody that's struggling with faith here today. God, there's somebody who feels hopeless here today. But Lord, your spirit came and you've spoken into this room. God, that you're able to bring beauty. God, you're able to speak life again. You're able to speak hope again. And so we pray right now, God, that heaven would settle down over this place and that you would begin to minister to the inside. God, begin to repair the breach from the inside. Begin to deal with somebody's heart in this place. In the name of Jesus, God, we pray that you would have your way. How many of you want to put your hands in the your life in the hands of the master today I wonder if we could open these altars and just come and pray for a few moments and say Lord God I don't understand it I don't get it but God you bring beauty from my brokenness God I don't understand it I don't know why I went through it but Lord I'm going to trust you in the process I'm going to trust you that I'm coming out and that you can heal me even here. That you can help me even here. That you can deliver me even from here. God, that when everybody says there's no hope, God, there's hope in Christ Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.